The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, May 8th, 2023. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm your host. With me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Elaine. Boy, we saw some beautiful clouds coming to the studio this morning, and I think we're going to have a little bit more rain here in Sonoma County. I'm really very excited about today's show. Uh, Joining me on the phone this morning will be Kristen Nunes, who is the president for the National Organization for Women. Kristen will be joining me from Washington, D.C., as the grassroots arm of the women's uh, movement, the National Organization for Women is dedicated to its multi-issue and multi-strategy approach to women's rights and the largest organization of feminist grassroots activists in the United States. Oh, here we have a, we're so excited. We have a chapter here in Sonoma County and, that I'm actually the treasurer of. Now has hundreds of chapters uh, across the country and hundreds of thousands of members and activists in all 50 states, including the District of Columbia. And it, something very exciting happened. On April 27th, uh, via the Zoom, the National Organization for Women presented an online uh, a webinar called the Feminist State of the Union. The event was part uh, put on by the National Organization and was facilitated by NOW's president, Christine Nunes, who we are going to have on the program uh, today. And during the event, the last part of the event, uh, Kristen did a fabulous interview with First Lady Hillary Clinton. And I will be playing that interview, which is 19 minutes long. And then after that, Kristen will come on and we will discuss the interview and some of the important uh, points that were made along with some of the issues the other presenters brought up. I want to encourage my listeners to listen to the webinar. There's two places. Of course, you can go on to the National Organization for Women, their website, and we can also go on to uh, Women's Spaces, www.womenspaces.com, and also SoCo uh, now uh, on uh, on uh, Facebook, and it is also is on uh, YouTube. So I'm really, really excited about that. And I am going to be playing right now uh, in a few minutes the, uh, the actual interview that Kristen did with uh, Hillary Clinton, which I thought was amazing. But, you know, I always do one little section. I'm going to do one little section. I think this is very important because uh, I understand that the Equal Rights Amendment is once again on the, on the table, and we don't know if it's going to be passed or not. But I want to say the happy birthday. Uh, excuse me, not a happy birthday. On May 10th, 1872, this is May 8th, but on May 10th, 1872, Victoria Woodhull is nominated uh, as the first woman candidate for United States president for the Equal Rights Party. Uh, she was uh, born in uh, 1838, and she made her transition in 1927. She was the leader of this women's suffrage movement. She was the first woman to own a brokerage firm on Wall Street, the first woman to start a weekly newspaper, and an activist for women's rights and labor reform. 
At her peak of political activity in the early 1870s, Woodhall is best known for the first woman candidate for the United States presidency, which she ran for in 1872. 1872! I mean, the suffrage movement was just all moving along the way. And for the Equal Rights Party, supporting women's suffrage and equal rights. Amazing, amazing. So... This is just one woman in history who stood out and said, hey, I want to do it. I'm going to run for president. I didn't realize that they actually had a woman that ran for president in 1872. It's amazing. Our history is our strength. You know, it's amazing what women have uh, have accomplished. Well, let's get right to it. Uh, we are now going to play an interview that was done by uh, our guest for today, Kristen Nunes, uh, during the Zoom on April 27th. It was called the, it was a webinar on the feminist state of the union. And she did an interview with former uh, First Lady uh, Hillary Clinton. The speech is 19 inches long. We'll take a little break in between at the 10-minute point, and we'll announce that you're listening to Women's Spaces. And then the interview with now President uh, Kristen Nunes uh, will be following after we hear the, the whole tape. And I really, I really want to do a shout-out for the National Organization for Women for bringing all these fantastic women together. I mean, the, the list is phenomenal. Uh, we had a, a speaker on young activism, economic justice, voting rights, institutional equality, uh, reproductive justice, and then, of course, a special guest was Hillary Rodham Clinton, former Secretary of State and First Lady. And there were special appearances, I couldn't believe it, by Amy Klobuchar and also Congresswoman and past Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, which really showed that the importance of the National Organization for Women, who are very strong, one of the strongest feminist organizations in the United States, uh, and they're very proud to announce they have over 500,000 uh, members. So let's go ahead. Ken, let's go ahead and put that uh, that speech on by uh, that. Excuse me, that interview. Kristen Nunes, the uh, president of the National Organization for Women, and uh, Hillary Clinton is going to be interviewed by her. So let's go ahead, Ken. Let's go ahead and play that. And finally, I can't tell you how excited I am to share my conversation with an icon of the women's rights movement, Secretary Hillary Rodden Clinton. Yesterday, I had the privilege to speak with our next guest, though she needs no introduction, the Honorable Hillary Rodden Clinton, former Secretary of State, former Senator, former First Lady, and forever change maker. Please help me welcome our next video, which is gonna be my conversation with Secretary Hillary Rodden Clinton. Secretary Clinton, thank you so much for being here with us today. We are so excited to have this conversation with you and really hear from such an icon as yourself for this special event. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure for me to be here with you. Yes. Yeah, so as one of the feminist icons of the women's movement, just really the GOAT of all times, I'm so excited to have this conversation. And I just really want to jump right into this conversation. So just starting off, the first question I have for you is really thinking back on your earliest days of fighting for social justice. What advice would you give and guidance would you give to young act activists of this time? Uh, it's a great question because I think it's important for all of us uh, who've been in the struggle, in the fight uh, for 
uh, equality and uh, civil rights and human rights and women's rights and uh, gay rights and everything that uh, has uh, been part of the uh, challenges we've confronted over the years, um, to tell young people particularly uh, that there's so many ways into activism. There's not one you know, specific path, and if you don't take it, you miss out. Because from my experience, I was really motivated by uh, my church and uh, particularly a youth minister, by my public school teachers, uh, by my friends, uh, my parents, particularly my mom, you know, to take responsibility for what I saw going on around me uh, as I was growing up. And I came of age, uh, as you know, in the 1960s, and there was just so much activism around everything from civil rights to the Vietnam War, and there was a way in for everybody. You know, in today's world, there's even more opportunities. Um, I think that there are existing organizations like yours, uh, like now, like others that are really in need of new people, new young people, new energy. Uh, but there's also the opportunity to start new organizations. You know, I have a, a, a group called Onward Together, and we support new organizations, young people who have decided they want to make a difference, whether it's on the border uh, with, you know, children being separated from their families or electing uh, people of color and women to office, whatever it is, there's an opportunity. Um, so I guess find out what your passion is. What do you care most about? What do you want to spend your time working on? Find an organization, or if that doesn't work, start one of your own. Yes, I, I think I really agree with you on that. It's just so many opportunities, and most importantly, just really finding your passion. But I think when we think about women and what women face, we also know there are a lot of barriers that women are experiencing. And what we're learning right now is sometimes that are economic barriers. What do you think are some of the most significant barriers women have when it comes to economic justice? I think there are two big kinds of barriers. One are what I call internal barriers, women who still don't think that uh, they are prepared enough, uh, who have what we call the imposter syndrome, that they're not really capable of doing the, the job or t seizing the opportunity that might be available for them. And I do think, to some extent, social media has exacerbated that. It's made a lot of women feel even more insecure and less confident because of what they see online. They don't look the way they think they should. They don't sound the way they think they should. And you've got to get over that. I mean, you've got to be the best you you can be and deal with those internal obstacles. But then we have a whole range of external obstacles that still keep women back and down. And much of that is rooted in both explicit and implicit bias. We know it exists. We know a lot of businesses and other organizations either are oblivious or in outright denial uh, that women are judged differently when it comes to hiring, retention, promotion, all of the steps uh, in anyone's work life. We also know that, you know, women who want to have uh, a family uh, and, and combine, balance uh, family and work, we don't have a paid leave system. We don't have universal quality affordable child care, that also uh, is an external barrier for many women, as we saw dramatically during COVID, where 
so many women lost their support system, and a lot of women who had to keep going to work because they were essential workers, you know, they were out there on their own. And, you know, it just really breaks my heart that here we are in 2023, we're nearly a quarter of the way through the 21st century, and we're still not able to provide the kind of support system to enable women to pursue uh, their own uh, dreams and uh, uh, interests in uh, the workplace. Uh, so uh, we have a lot of work to do. Absolutely. I think one of the most interesting things we heard about Secretary Clinton this past year was the motherhood penalty and the fatherhood prize, you know, um, when it came to economic justice. And, and I think that is something that we really have to correct. I um, agree with you completely, Christian, and I'm glad you mentioned that because it's real. It absolutely is. Um, and so as we talk about more things and barriers women face, we know this past year was a devastating year for women with the Dobbs decision. And it was one of the worst fears I think women really had to deal with and face this past year when Roe was overturned. Um, when we think about that and the lessons that um, the current pro-choice and post-Roe movement has brought, um, what do you think that the pre-Roe activists, activism can teach the current movement and the current activism. So what can we learn from the pre-Roe um, activism movement? If there's anything we can learn, what do you think we can learn from that? Pre I think we can always learn from people who walked the you know, path before us because uh, although our times are very different, uh, you know, there's always uh, inspiration to be gathered from people who um, stood up for women's equality, women's agency and autonomy, women's you know, right to make decisions about um, our own bodies. But I also think there were a lot of people who did, did not believe that Roe would be overturned. You know, I, I kept warning people, a lot of people kept warning people that that's exactly what the plan was. And so there was a lot of shock when it finally happened. But that shock has helped to mobilize a new generation of activists because when something so surprising happens, you, you don't expect it, and all of a sudden there it is, a, a very results-oriented Supreme Court that had been largely uh, the result of careful planning and judge selection and uh, all of the you know, work that had gone on by those in every part of the anti-Roe, anti-choice uh, movement to get to this result. Now they're having to live with that result. And what we're seeing across the country in unlikely places like Kansas or Montana um, is that referenda and other votes are you know, reaffirming the right for women to make these uh, most personal decisions. Elections are being held most recently for the Supreme Court seat in Wisconsin, where the pro-choice candidate wins by you know, over 10 points. Mm -hmm. So I do think that the shock of what happened in the Dobbs decision, and frankly, the way it was presented, it was a very shoddy case of so-called judicial reasoning because it wasn't intended uh, to convince or persuade anybody. It was intended to get to a result that had been preordained uh, once they got the majority on the court. So 
we know now that we're in a real fight. And I think that the odds favor those of us who believe in the uh, rights of women to make these choices. Um, and we are going to keep fighting in elections. And I hope that you know, young people, particularly young women, stay as engaged as they became, uh, became engaged in 2020 and 2022 uh, for the 2024 election. Well, this is amazing. Uh, you're listening to Women's Spaces. I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. We're listening to an interview that the National Organization for Women's President, Kristen Nunes, uh, did with Hillary Clinton uh, during their uh, webinar called The Feminist State of the Union. And we will continue that conversation. I, and I absolutely believe they will. I absolutely believe that our history and our legacy has shown that women do not back down, right? We, we will stay. <laughs> we will stay engaged and we will stay committed <laughs> to our cause and to our rights. And so I'm excited to see what this new generation will do. Um, and speaking of that and speaking of committed to the fight, we know that it has been 100 years that we have been fighting for the Equal Rights Amendment to be enshrined into the U.S. Constitution. Um, and we just heard that Leader Schumer will be taking, um, tomorrow, will be taking it to a floor vote in the Senate. Right, right. I'm Do, thrilled by that. Okay, right. It's exciting. It is exciting news. Do you believe that the ERA will ever be included in the U.S. Constitution? Well, I want to believe it, and I'm encouraged by uh, Senator Schumer bringing it to a vote. You know, the argument now is that we've gotten, finally, the requisite number of states to uh, confirm uh, a positive vote in favor of including it in the Constitution, and the side that has opposed it for 100 years is saying, yeah, but you didn't meet the deadline, and therefore, you know, you can't uh, be included. But I think what Senator Schumer is trying to do is to make the point that it's an arbitrary deadline. It was always an arbitrary deadline. And if the Senate votes, as I hope it will vote, and I think it will vote, um, then we'll, we won't probably get it through the existing House because of Republican control and the likelihood they won't bring it up for a vote. But this is another issue to engage activism around. Let's vote for a House of Representatives that would actually vote to enshrine the Equal Rights Amendment in the Constitution. And so I'm going to be talking about that uh, in the run-up to 2024. Absolutely. Yes. I'm, I'm right there with you. This is, where, <laughs> this is where we have to show our accountability for who we elect, correct? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So, so what is, how do you encourage, what are your words for those to keep everyone from feeling hopeless, to keep everyone from feeling like there's nothing that they can do when it comes to who we're electing and what's happening? How do we keep people from feeling hopeless and defeated? The first thing I would say is, you know, helplessness um, really plays into the hands of people who don't share your values, don't agree with your um, uh, political views, and why give them that uh, benefit? Because they are certainly mobilized. They've been mobilized for decades. Mm -hmm. uh, as you rightly point out, they have been fighting to, you know, overturn Roe v. Wade ever since it was decided in 1973. They've been fighting against Equal Rights Amendment for 100 years. 
they stay in the fight. And you know what? For a long time, they were on the losing side. You know, we passed uh, civil, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, the Fair Housing Act. We began to expand uh, women's opportunities with legislation like Title IX. And we began to expand the rights of the LGBTQ community. And so we have to be as determined and persistent as the other side has been. Yeah. They have been fighting to turn the clock back on all of our individual rights and our freedoms for as long as I've been alive, and I've watched it firsthand. And part of the reason they oppose me so vigorously is because I take seriously the promise um, of equality and justice. And so, honestly, don't get discouraged. That just gives them the playing field. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Be engaged and always vote. Please vote. And if you're so inclined, run for office. There are so many good organizations recruiting young people to run now. And stay in this fight because I believe that the majority of people agree with our uh, commitment to expanding the circle of opportunity, to expanding, you know, the rights that individuals are entitled to, to protecting, you know, the progress that we've uh, been able to obtain. So stay in, please. We need you. Absolutely. We need you. We need everyone, right? We are all in this together. Absolutely. So one last question for you. And I am just enjoying this conversation so much, um, but I have one last question for you. So speaking of this in 2024, we know we just heard a major uh, announcement, right? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. The other day that uh, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden just announced that he is running for reelection. What do you think about President Joe Biden? Can he accomplish for women in his, and what, what he can accomplish for women in his next term? What do you think he can do for women in his next term? I am all in for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, all in. And, and the reason is not only because I know them and I've worked with them and I supported uh, first, uh, you know, their election in 2020 and have tried to, you know, help in uh, the two plus years since, but because of what they've accomplished and what they stand for. You know, I think people really should... Uh, be proud of what the Biden-Harris administration has achieved under really difficult circumstances. Yes. There will be more economic opportunities for women. There will be more uh, opportunities uh, for jobs in clean energy and in health care. Uh, there will be jobs in infrastructure uh, and in advanced manufacturing. And the administration is making it very clear they want women to fill a lot of those jobs. We have a labor shortage right now. And so if you paid attention to what the administration announced out of the Commerce Department about the money they're going to give for advanced manufacturing of semiconductor chips, um, they said they want every company that applies for that money to provide childcare because they want women to get those high paying uh, jobs of the future. So if you build on what they've already achieved, and of course their protection of uh, women's rights uh, across the board, their defense uh, of uh, you know, Roe and what it stood for and why it worked for 50 years, um, I have every confidence they're gonna build on their success and go further. So I'm for them on the merits, but I'm also for them because of the alternatives. <laughs> I mean, 
Oh my gosh. I don't know literally how any woman, any person of color can't be on fire to reelect, you know, Biden and Harris because of what they've done, but also because of what could happen if we don't. You know, I mean, literally, right? (laughs) And when we talk about we're voting for women's lives and we're looking at what's at stake for women, I mean, they've created a gender policy council. They've created a reproductive rights and justice task force. They've created, um, you know, put in place the most diverse, you know, cabinet. And so their work speaks for itself. And so I... I think you're, you really just put it out there, and we have to look for what person's actions and, and what right. their administration's actions have shown us. Um, and, you know, and- the only thing I would add, though, Christian, I've seen some polling. You know, you and I, were kind of political junkies. We follow all this. You just rattled off all the commissions <laughs> you know, and everything they're doing. Mm-hmm. But most people don't know. Right. Because, you know, it's hard to penetrate the noise mm-hmm. in the information ecosystem mm-hmm. and we move from you know one crisis and one kind of scandal and everything happening so we've got to do a better job people like yeah. you and me and organizations uh, like yours and mine and all of us together uh, to help voters know what's been accomplished and why that should be uh, respected and credited moving into 2024 and and your conference and everything you're doing is a part of making sure that happens absolutely and and i agree with you secretary clinton i think we also have to do a better job of showing the intersections of how all the issues connect and how they impact everyone's lives and speaking to them in terms of showing them how they connect their life 100 percent right yeah, absolutely well is there any last things the last words you would like to share with everyone um any last comments you would like to share this has been so impactful and so important and once again i'm so grateful for you taking time out of your busy day and schedule in life to just come with us and speak with our members and our supporters and just um, everyone um it's so important i thank you so much and it's, i'm so grateful for this time I'm thrilled to talk to you, Christian, and thrilled about the, you know, great agenda that now has and the work you're doing. Thank uh, you so much. Let's just keep going. We, yeah. We've got a lot to uh, try to get done in the next two years and beyond. Absolutely. And please don't be a stranger. And anything we could do to support you, please let us know as well. Thank you. All the best. Take care. Wow, I'm telling you, that was one great interview. You're listening to Women's Spaces. I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. You've just been listening to an interview that Kristen Noon, uh, the president of the National Organization for Washington, uh, for Women, National Organization for Women, just, I'm so excited about it, just listening to it with Hillary Clinton. And now we're going to take a musical break, and I am so excited when we come back, when we return, I will be in conversation with Kristen Nunes, who is the president of the National Organization for Women. Kristen will be uh, joining me from Washington, D.C., and we'll be talking about the Feminist State of the Union uh, webinar and her interview with uh, First Lady Hillary Clinton. So let's go on. Let's go ahead, Ken and play that song, Hey, Mr. Politician. Hey, Mr. Politician, don't legislate, my love. You're not walking in my shoes. 
Christ to call me a sinner or decide who to have as my mate. Don't twist the words of the Bible to make laws that discriminate. If I choose, it's not your place to turn back the clock to a time when I had no voice. Don't try to take away my right to have freedom of choice. away my freedom to choose. Oh boy. For you just joining, I want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station, the board of directors, members, and women's spaces. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz, and I am so excited. Joining me on the phone from Washington, D.C. is Kristen Nunes, president of the National Organization for Women. Welcome, Kristen. Welcome to Women's Spaces. Hi, Elaine. Thanks so much for having me on Women's Spaces today. Well, I'm telling you, we just listened to that interview you did with Hillary Clinton, and I, I'll tell you something. I'm an interviewer myself, and i got to give you an A++++. It was just oh. fantastic. And listening to it again thank was you. just amazing to me. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was a very fun interview to do, I have to tell you. <laughs> I, well, it was just, I mean, I couldn't believe it. And also to do this, the seminar on the feminist, you know, State of the Union and all of a sudden having Nancy Pelosi stick her to have, uh, make an announcement also. And also Amy Klobuchar. Yeah. What an amazing accomplishment. I want to thank you so, so much. You know, Kristen, uh, you, this is your second time uh, being interviewed here with yeah. Women's Spaces. And, you know, I've, I've done the bio on 
on you several times. And I'd like to tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us how you got involved in now and what your background is as far as working with women's issues. And I know you have several degrees. Just let us know a little bit about Kristen Nunez. Sure. So uh, my involvement with NOW really just started as I think many of us is just as a member um, in local chapter and eventually becoming involved with local leadership um, and then moving that way from local leadership to the state level leadership and then eventually becoming on the national board and being really active on the national board on national committees and different committees there. Um, and then I'm being um, kind of a asked to fill an appointment for the uh, a vice presidency vacancy for the national board um, and deciding to run for that appointment. Becoming appointed as vice president of the national board and then that has led to the pathway to um, becoming president. So it's been a really uh, very interesting quick trajectory <laughs> that I did never, I never pictured for myself but very glad that um, I have been blessed to be in this role and to work with so many amazing people um, yeah, so that's my journey through now. Um, my personal background is, you know, I've always worked um, and had a focus with working with women and children um, just from the very beginning of my career as a social worker, um, starting with just victim, being a victim advocate and domestic violence advocate, and then moving into working directly more with children as a child therapist and the community organizer, working with um, everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually just continue on working with everyone as a therapist and having a consulting practice in the business where I work to really improve, like, outcomes and policies for people who are directly impacted, um, as well as carrying a caseload myself. So um, I think even in that role as a mental health expert and a social worker and community organizer, it's really helped my role as the national president for now, because um, looking at the legislative advocacy side of it, I've had opportunity to really use those and that personal hand knowledge to really talk and advocate for those women. Well, you know, it's really interesting in, in experiencing this, the webinar that you did on the, on the State of the Union for Women. I just thought it was just amazing, and it really let me know. You know, I've been a member for now forever, and also at one time I was also president. I'm now the treasurer. I don't know. You know, we stay with the organization. But, yes. but I really see through under your leadership, I see that there's a lot of movement going on, and really it's, it's, it's find, it's, uh, now is finding its place once again within, within the women's movement and also bringing forward so many wonderful women of color. I mean, I could not believe one one speaker after another on that uh, seminar, I, webinar. I thought to myself, I, how can it get any better? <laughs> you know, and it was... Well, can, go ahead. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you um, for saying that because, you know, I think we've worked really hard to lead now in the direction um, which really kind of uses our founding of what we started out as, you know, and to rebuild it into this moment now, which is really what's happening in 2023 in this, in this new era we're in, um, and this new wave of feminism, but also being more inclusive and more intersectional, multiracial and generational. Um, and so that's been really a focus in, under, under my leadership, and, I, and I've been really intentional on doing that um, and trying to create space and give voices to a lot of times women leaders we don't only hear from, right? <laughs> so... Um, it's been a great experience and it's working in collaborative partnership with all these amazing organizations who are doing great work themselves. 
Well, it's exciting, isn't it? It's it's a very it's a sad time on some levels, but again, it's an exciting time because again, women are coming forward and saying, "Hey, enough is enough." I mean, it's just amazing. Well, prior yeah. prior to coming on, you know, we listened to the interview that you did with Hillary Clinton, and it, like I said, as an interviewer myself, I thought you did a superior job. You know, Thank you. what what do you believe some of her main points were, and also? That, that really struck you. And also the thing that struck me was when she talked about this internal woman and the external woman. And mm-hmm. what do you believe she meant by that? And why is that important to note? Yeah, I mean, I think when, this from looking back to the conversation we had, I think she really just was really honing in on you know, the importance of us just being fully engaged and fully activating in our power as women um, and, and, and our ability to really, like, shift and change, right, this democracy. Um, but I think when she was addressing internal women and external women, I think it's a lot of kind of what we experience and we see happening every time is that, you know, in this world there's so many things out there that's trying to suppress the woman, you know, um, and, and keep the woman down and keep them oppressed and keep them feeling like they are powerless and they don't have the ability to have power. And I think it's sometimes women can buy into that, just like women can buy into patriarchy, right? Oh, um, and women can buy into misogyny, and women can buy into toxic masculinity. And we don't think we can. We're like, no, I'm a woman. I, I can't possibly do that. But we absolutely do it every single day because we've been ingrained to do those things and think this way and behave this way and view women this way. Um, so I think that's the internal woman is that struggle to recognize and the self-actualization to be able to say that I'm not owning any of this. <laughs> like, let me, let me, let me fish through all this and understand that I'm not going to own all this stuff and that I am totally capable of being true to myself, my authentic self as a woman and leading as a woman or being as a woman, even if you don't want to lead, but just being as a woman, that's the internal struggle. I think women are going through is just pushing through and weighing through all that constant pressure of oppression and toxic masculinity and patriarchy that is surrounding us every day, right? Oh, yes. And then, and then how do we fish through that? And then externally, that same pressure, right, of when you're pushing through it and you're, you've got that self-actualization, you've gotten to a place where you figure it out, of being able to, like, still hold your ground and not back down. And I think Hillary Senior Clinton was a great example of that. It's like not letting people back her down and she held her ground, you know, and held her ground no matter what people said about her. She knew her worth and she knew who she was. So I think that's that. Go ahead. Well, she dealt a lot with the external woman when they mm-hmm. when she was running for office. I mean, they would comment exactly. all the time on her why she was wearing these pantsuits. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, uh, you know, women have been wearing pants for years. And an, another thing I, I really thought I thought was interesting too when she talks about the internal woman. You know, we do on on women's spaces. We have the women's spaces pledge where my self esteem does not depend on anything outside of me. It depends on my mm-hmm. relationship with myself and my higher power. And and we also the opening song is the woman in your life is you that to recognize that we have that i mean we bring forth children for god's sakes right you know so i think that i think she made some some really really important points what what was the one kernel that really struck you you know as you're i mean you must have i mean i know if i was sitting in your shoes i would be so excited that just trying to keep calm as i ask the question i mean i'm feeling that way just interviewing you right now so what what kernel what kernel did you did you extract from her after when you after it was all over that you sat and said wow when she said this well, I think just 
I, I just, when I was listening to her and I think um, just hearing anything, I just, just felt her power and her, her determination to, to change, you know, the status quo, right. To change what we're seeing what we're experiencing um, and not, not back down from it. And I, and I heard that fight in her right still. And I, and I heard her communicate the importance of all of us getting that fight in ourselves. Right. Um, so I think that's what I heard throughout that whole conversation that we had is that importance of getting that fight inside of yourself and holding on to it and like not backing down. Um, and, you know, and just moving forward and moving forward and whether we're using like the, um, what we learned from our ancestors and the strengths of the women in the past, but also letting an opportunity for young women to lead as well and using their strengths in the present, just keeping that fight going to push us through is really what I held on most in most of her message. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the the, the past. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in contact, actually, with the Ida B. Wells' great-granddaughter, and I'm hoping to get her on. I mean, that was one of my heroes. I'm sure it was one of mm-hmm. yours. But, you know, also it was very interesting. She mentioned about Chuck Schumer. Two things I thought were also interesting. She really encouraged the young people to get involved and how important mm-hmm. it is is that we motivate them. And also she talked about Chuck Schumer, and I I've been looking all over. I couldn't find anything about the ERA. Did you? Did, did what happened with that? Did they take so, the vote? Yeah. So I actually went down and witnessed the vote. Oh wow! <laughs> um, and it was quite interesting, and it was quite what you expected and what you thought, but also discouraging at the same time. Encouraging and discouraging. Encouraging that you know most people voted for the the right for women to have equality under the law. But still knowing that so many of them would not vote for women to be included and have equality under the law. And the fact that so many people who are running our Congress and running our country have that vision that they don't see a woman as whole and they don't see a woman as equal. And so they would rather keep them from having that ability to live fully and that potential of being equal and the opportunities that come for being equal. So I was encouraged to see that many people, majority, were supportive of it, but discouraged that people would actually still want to keep women not considered equal in the Constitution. Um, and I, that's what they're talking about. So what happened with the vote is um, the vote was closed. But we did not get the 60 we needed because of the filibuster. We know the filibuster is a huge barrier to getting anything passed, and it's a huge form of oppression. So we have to do find a way to get rid of the filibuster altogether. Um, and the vote was closed. Uh, Chuck Schumer actually kind of changing his vote from yes to no so that we, you know, he could bring up the vote again later on during the session. So um, there's hope. We're going to bring it up. I hope it's going to come back up again in the session for another vote. Um, I think we'll continue to work on building allies and, and you know, um, supporters of members who will be willing to do it and also continue to work in the House to try to get supporters. But, if, you know, I think as long as we have a filibuster, it's going to it's going to be very difficult, you know, to get people to and people also voting to along party allegiance and not really for the issues that are important to women. Isn't that amazing? A hundred years yeah. and they're, they're still debating. Yeah. It. It, 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 it's just amazing. Which brings me, which brings me to the next point. I mean, you had you had so you had so many um, 
you had so many wonderful, wonderful guests. But one of the people that really struck me, another thing that struck me, was uh, Janie Nelson, the president and director of the Council for the Legal Defense Fund, when she stated, "Productive uh, reproductive justice is intertwined with racial justice." Mm-hmm. What what does that mean, and to you, and 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 how, what message did you? think that should be sent to the to our listeners what what does that mean and why is that important to understand particularly for women well today Nelson's absolutely correct when she talks about reproductive justice being intertwined with racial justice and this is where we're talking and how we've been really stressing intersectionality and a connection about working from an intersectional perspective and in our grassroots approach and now because every issue is intertwined and interconnected so we can't have a conversation about reproductive justice if we're not looking at racial and racial justice implications, because we know the majority of people who are most burdened and the most going to experience most of the, the burden from these egregious and these horrific, you know, um, abortion bans and balancing laws and mass incarcerations and these 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 in these laws are going to be black and brown women. Right. And women in poverty um, and disabled women and immigrant women. And so when you're looking at that, when you know that those who be most and not only that, then also the fact that these bans will also and the fight for abortion access will also increase black maternal mortality because you will have people waiting longer to get treatment because they're going to try to wait for Day in the past, or 10 weeks or 12 weeks to go, you know, before they even give someone treatment, knowing good and well that there's already racial discrimination in how black women are treated, which leads to an increase in mortality of, in, in maternity anyways. So you can't separate the two. You have to look at what's already happening and what's already occurring in access to reproductive justice and what's experiencing and who's experiencing what. And then looking at now you're adding more types of oppression onto that and who is going to be directly impacted by those types of oppression. So they're very much intertwined and we cannot address one without the other. That's what I think is important to understand. You have to look at both. Yeah, it was a really an, an amazing when she made that statement. I mean, that was mm-hmm. one of the, I, I wrote that down, it was the internal and the external <laughs> idea of, the, of women and then also the idea of having, looking at, you know, reproductive rights being intertwined with racial justice. It's, it's, it's really, it's really an amazing thought. And it's so true. I mean, when you start thinking about it. Well, you know, it, we had so many, like I said, one woman after another was just amazing. Mm-hmm. It was just amazing. Absolutely. You know, what, what, now that the whole thing is gone and you know, you've had a chance to kind of relax and reflect on it, what, what did you really get out of the presentations and what was your hope? What was the goal in your mind that you were hoping that women that were listening? Because I know you had a great crowd because first you were going to do it on a Zoom and then all of a sudden you had to change all the ways. How many people were actually on there? Um, we had over 900 RSVPs. Oh my goodness, that's amazing! Yeah. For you know, yeah. it, was, it was just amazing. Well, what 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 did you want to get across, and what did you gleam out of it? I mean, you you know, talking to all these women. Yeah, sure. I mean, so for me, I think the biggest thing I think was some education was a big part about what this really looks like through a feminist lens, and what did our state of the union and our democracy look like when we're looking at it from the perspective of a feminist lens was important. And the other part was just for people to be encouraged, to be encouraged about our strength and our ability to fight it back and our ability to win this situation. 
um, I think that was, I wanted to put, we wanted to bring in all different types of leaders, all different types of feminist leaders, all different types of thought leaders, congressional leaders, and just leaders who are paving the way and 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 leading authentically too was was really important to me, um, and honestly and and not backing down, you know, and him speaking the truth, um, and being strategic and being on the front lines, you know, I think that was really important for us to do, and so they can encourage others to let them know the different ways we can get this work done and how we can work collectively together to get the work done too. It was really important. We were hoping that. You know, it was really interesting listening to Margaret Hunk, H-A-U-N-G. She's the president and CEO of the Southern Poverty Law Center. I've been supporting that organization since it's opened the doors. And I'm just amazed when when she came on all the work they've done. And they're still, uh-huh. it is, and it seems to be getting even more, more intense, more intense all the time. And I thought I thought her message and her, her thought about the whole, whole legal aspect and looking at uh-huh. some of the things that are going on were just really really important. Well, you know, at this time, you know, one of the things that I feel is happening is now is being a a rebirth is happening. I think it's becoming more energized. I mean, when I saw all these people that were willing to come on, it was definitely a statement about the organization. And you've definitely helped change it by all the the different ideas and different people that are coming in. Uh, at this point, why do you believe, what is important about women joining a now? And, and what do you think is the greatest benefit to all of us coming together like this? Yeah, that's a great question, Elena. I think one of the most important parts about people becoming a member of now and the, the membership part aspect of it is just having that strong network of people who are like-minded with you and have that same vision as you and that same belief for you, with, as you doing the work together. And, you know, sometimes we look for community and we can't find community. Well, now is the community, right? Now is that community that women need where they can come and they can talk about these intersectional issues and how they apply in one space, um, and talk about how, you know, hey, I, this is going on, but this is also going on, and I need a space where I can talk about all this. But now it's that place because we are an intersectional grassroots advocacy organization. We look at it all. We talk about it all. We don't leave one out. We understand that importance of everything intersecting and connecting. So this is a space in the community for people to come when they want to work and address and, and everything from a perspective of the inter, intersections of it and not siloed. So I would encourage anyone who wants to look at work and, and do their advocacy and their activism from a place like that to join us in that fight that we do and continue pushing forth in that way. Well, um, go, ahead. go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say we have space for everybody. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's very, very interesting. You know, they just had this this horrific thing that happened with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene when she mm-hmm. came out about, you know, you're not a real mother with this with this woman at the, uh, the uh, I think it was the uh, American, American Federation of Teachers. I mean, to me, it was mm-hmm. just when I when I saw that on YouTube, I just it just blew me away. And and now came out, you know, we California now, we've made a statement. I, I'm sure you've already seen it, that we said enough 
is enough, you know, that we, uh-huh. that it goes out to all those members, fi- all, almost 500,000 women. I mean, and I also feel when I show up, say, at a board of supervisors or, or a city council meeting where I'm trying to express something that happens to women, it makes me feel very proud to say I'm, I'm a part of the National Organization for Women. I mean, they, you, I can see, I feel like there's all these women behind me pushing, you know, you know uh-huh. what I'm you know, so it's really, it's really a, a, an amazing thing. Well, how can people become members? Give us a little bit, a little bit of uh, how they can ke- become a member. And we're definitely coming at the end of our segment here, Kristen. And I'm telling you, it's just such a pleasure to be talking to you. Uh, how can uh, people, uh, women, become yes. members? And also, what last words? Anything that you feel is important that you'd like to say that you'd like to express? Yeah, sure. So one of the first things I would just really want to point out is that you can, it's easy to become a member. You can come join at www.now.org, N-O-W.org. And then that first page, if you scroll to the bottom, it says how to join. You click on the button, and it'll tell you how to join. Um, we have membership rates as low as $10 to try to make it cost effective for many people. Um, and then when you find your place in your state and you join um, by that, you become a member for now. Um, and you, you can become a sustainer if you want to give monthly as well. You can, you know, it's multiple ways you can give. But that's the place you would go to join. Um, and if you were, you want to join at a local chapter, you can go to your local chapter. That's the easiest way to join because you'll be assigned a chapter by going to the website um, for those listening. Um, or, or like I said, or if you have a local event, you go to our local now chapter. You can always join this chapter as well. I encourage uh, the website; it's the easiest, <laughs> you know, to do. Um, so that's that. Um, and and for those who are, you know, looking for just, you know, ways to stay engaged, you know, please pay attention to what's also happening on our website. We try to keep updated with our events happening, keep you informed about our press statements. Uh, action alerts. Um, we're going to be having a lobbying training happening on the 20th, so we can help you all be prepared to go lobby in your states as well. We're lobbying in, at the you know national, federal level, so we can push back on these laws. So we want to make sure we're providing you with all the resources to make you the best and most equipped activist as possible. But just know we have the power; it's already in us. <laughs> we just have to exercise it, and we have to stay encouraged and know that we will win this at the end. Well, I know with your leadership, we have a real good chance. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on Women's Spaces. And always know if there's any announcements or anything you need, you can always contact us. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being on the show with you today. Oh, ditto. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. Well, folks, that's it for the show. A special thank you. To, I mean, I'm just overwhelmed by this by this uh, by this interview. I mean, I'm just so excited to have been talking to her and just knowing and sharing all the great information and listening to Hillary Clinton. And I mean, it has just been an exciting show to me. Well, special thank you to Christine Kristen Nunes, president of the National Organization for Women. What a great organization and what a great president. You know, with lots of innovative ideas and ways to organize and take change, make change. A reminder that you go to the National organization for women www.now.org uh, you can hear these the whole seminar you can hear the whole webinar it's just amazing and a reminder a reminder that the children are our future we must never lose sight of that you know when i was looking at all these women i mean i can't believe i mean just just the list just the list alone i mean productive justice janel nelson president and director of council of legal defense fund 
you know, uh, constitutional equality. Myra Wiley, president and CEO of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights and the Leadership Conference Education Fund. You know, voting rights. Margaret Hong, president and CEO of the Southern Poverty Law Center and economic justice and young activism. I mean, Jocelyn, we, we really need to encourage our young people to, to be part of it. Jocelyn Garcia, co-founder and executive director of Unpack, amazing group of people. So go on to, you can go to www.womenspaces.com and all the, all the websites and everything will be listed. And the, well, and the show's archive page. The show's archive page on www.womenspaces.com. A reminder, tell your friends, Women's Spaces will be aired again at 11, uh, 11 p.m. this evening. That's Monday evening. And again, I can't emphasize it enough. Our children are the future, and we must never lose sight of that. I'll tell you what keeps me motivated, the fact that I became a great-grandmother, and I look at these young children, and I think of their future. You know, and I think about what these really these strong women had to say. And the one message that I got is, is stand up and speak out. Don't be afraid. You know, write a letter to the editor. Call your congressman. Call, write a letter to the president. You know, look at your local people. There's all kinds of things that we can do to help promote peace, to help promote women's rights, to help promote equality. And remember, love love is the most important thing. Anyway, this is Elaine B. Holtz. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you the next time. The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, May 8th, 2023.